Uh, Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for our church family here, for all the members of it, both young and old. And we pray that as we consider these verses now from 1 Timothy chapter 5, that we would understand more of what it means to care for one another as family within the life of the church. We pray this for the good of our church here, but ultimately, Father, for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Please do have your Bible open there at 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're now coming into the penultimate chapter of this very practical letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. It's for his friend and his co-worker Timothy. And as we know, for a while, Timothy had traveled around with the Apostle Paul, uh, preaching the gospel in various different places, uh, planting different churches. But now things are a bit different. Paul has now left Timothy in this city of Ephesus to be the minister of the church there, because this church was going through a very difficult time. But Paul doesn't just leave Timothy in the lurch to try and figure out himself how to lead the church there. No, instead, Paul gives all the help that he can. And in particular, he sends this first letter to Timothy. And it's a letter that is just crammed with practical, godly, biblical advice about how to lead the church well. And in the part of the letter that we turn to this morning, we're at the the start of a new section of the letter, and it's all about how to relate to and to care for those within the church family. How to relate to and care for those within the church family. And you'll notice there are three paragraphs here, each of which addresses a particular aspect of this. And so here's the first thing. Paul says to Timothy, treat the church as your family. Treat the church as your family. And you remember that Timothy is, relatively speaking, fairly young to be a minister. And Paul knows that this is going to bring particular challenges to Timothy in his ministry. Timothy's relatively young age is going to make this already difficult job just a little bit harder. It's going to create this dynamic within the church that Timothy needs to handle wisely and carefully. And already Paul has touched on this, you remember, in the previous paragraph. Back in 4 verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And again here, Paul gives Timothy some wise advice about how he as a young man can and should conduct his relationships with people within the church. And so he says to him, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. 
So what happens when in that church in Ephesus, one of the older men in the congregation perhaps starts to drift into a, a sinful, ungodly way of living? Well, of course, Timothy, as the minister, needs to seek to call this person back to repentance, back to faithful Christian living. But, says Paul, be very careful how you go about that. Paul says, remember, uh, he's older than you. Uh, You're still a relatively young man. And if you rebuke that person harshly, even though it may be a godly rebuke, it will come across as patronizing. It will be humiliating for this person. And so instead, speak to him as you would your own father. Seek to encourage him. Speak to him with respect, with humility. In this way, treat him as family. And that family principle, you see, applies to all of the relationships that Timothy will have with members of his church. When speaking to the younger men in his church, maybe those who are about the same age or even younger than him, he's to treat them as brothers. Just because you're the minister, Timothy, don't lord it over your peer group. Don't get above your station. Don't be arrogant about your position in the church. No, treat those younger men in the church as your brothers. And likewise, when it comes to the older women in the church, treat them as mothers. Love them. Care for them. Show respect to them. And finally, how should Timothy relate to the younger women in the church? Well, of course, uh, as sisters. And Paul adds here as well, in all purity. Needless to say, there's an added element of temptation that will arise in Timothy's relationships with younger women in the church. And so Paul says to Timothy, stay pure in that regard. Treat them as your sister. And you, you see, we can sum up this first point as follows. Treat the church as your family. Older men as fathers, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. Now this advice is of course given to a minister here, but there's clearly a wider application for all of the church. And the point is that the church is not just like a family. Rather, the church is a family. You remember how earlier on in the letter, at the end of chapter 3, Paul described the church there as the household of God. In other words, the family of God. God the Father is our Father. We're his adopted children in Christ. And by virtue of being united with Christ, every other Christian believer is related to us in a deeply profound, unbreakable spiritual way. A way that is in fact far closer than even blood relatives. Jesus himself argued this, didn't he? When he he said, who are my mother and my brothers? Whoever does the will of God is my brother 
my sister, my mother. So the church is your family. And so Paul says here, treat one another like family. That is, love one another, care for one another, be devoted to one another. Uh, Set aside time to spend quality time together as a family, of course on Sundays, but at other times as well. And as families show appropriate respect to one another as the different stages of life require. And then Paul turns to a, a particular application of all of this. If the church is a family, and since family should care for one another, what does that look like practically in the life of the church? And so we, we come now to verses 3 to 8. And we see there that Paul teaches Timothy to care for the needy in the church family. Care for the needy in the church family. And in particular, he has in mind those who are widows. Now throughout the story of the Bible, widows have always had a special place in God's heart. Caring for widows was enshrined in God's holy law to his people Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, God is described as the one who executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He cares for them. And because that is what God himself is like, his people must reflect that. They must be like that as well. So that's what he called them to do. For example, in Exodus 22, the Lord says, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And Jesus, of course, in his earthly ministry gave special attention to widows. The laws concerning care for the widows and respect for the widows and the honoring of parents as well. These laws are all fulfilled in Jesus perfectly. And so we see this dynamic playing out in his life, don't we? He restored to life the only son of a widow in name. In one of his parables, he taught about the persistent widow as an example for us to learn from. When he was in the temple one day, he commended the widow who put her two coins in the offering box. And even as he was hanging on the cross, he cared for his widowed mother. He commanded the apostle John to take care of her. And the early church recognized, therefore, how important it is to care for widows. This is the background to the well-known story of Acts chapter 6, where we see the early church in Jerusalem collecting and distributing food for the widows in the church. Then in James chapter 1, later on in the New Testament, James tells us, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so you see, throughout the scriptures, God has always shown us that there is this special place in his heart for those who are widows. And his people should likewise be concerned for and care for those who are widows. And 
those who are widows, particularly in societies where there isn't care for the widow, isn't provision for the widow. And so as Timothy leads that church in Ephesus, this must be one of the things that he must not overlook in his responsibilities there. He must make sure that the needy in the church family, and especially widows, are adequately cared for. And it's to that end that Paul gives to Timothy some very wise principles to apply in how to do this. Now we'll see the church cannot, and the church should not, and the church need not care for every widow in society. It would be impossible to do that. And also it's not the church's job to do that, as we'll see Paul unpacks later. So how can Timothy focus the church's care the church's mercy ministry, if you like, towards those to whom it should really go. Well, Paul says to Timothy here, there are basically two very simple requirements for a widow to be given support by the church. That is financial support and also practical matters as well. And the first requirement is she must be truly a widow. Truly a widow. That's what Paul is saying in verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. Now, what does it mean by a widow who is truly a widow? Well, that's what Paul explains in these next few verses. Paul means women who really have been left alone. That is, not only has their husband died, but as well as that, they don't have any children or grandchildren who are able to support them in their old age. And maybe it's the case that they never had children. Maybe it's the case that the children have died before the widow herself has died. Maybe it's the case that the children themselves are too poor or other circumstances have meant that the children are not in a position to support their widowed mother. And yet Paul says if there are children or grandchildren around, And those children or grandchildren are in a position to care for their parents or grandparents. Paul is very clear here, isn't he? That is not the church's responsibility to care for them, to provide financial or or practical care for such widows. It is the job of the family, Paul says, to do that. Verse 4, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household And to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. One commentator puts it like this. He says, the inevitable fact is, with the rhythm of generations, a dramatic reversal comes to us. We who once held our helpless children in our arms and nursed them and provided for their every need will one day be held in their arms as they nurse us at the end of our lives. And when we sons and daughters do this, we are only making some return to our parents. And of course, this principle flows straight out of the fifth commandment, doesn't it? The commandment to honour your father and mother. And Paul underlines just how important that is in verse 8. He says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, 
He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The fact is many unbelievers care for their elderly parents in wonderfully loving, sacrificial ways. You've seen it for yourself, haven't you? You know of people, unbelievers, who have done that or are doing that. And Paul is saying here, if even an unbeliever who has not had that fifth commandment written on their heart by the Holy Spirit, if even they can in some measure live up to what that command requires, how much more as Christians ought we to do that? Remember how Jesus rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees for not doing this. In Mark chapter 7, he says to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, whatever you would have gained from me is korban. That is, it's given to God. In other words, the point Jesus is making there is, is to say that effectively these people are saying, mom, dad, I cannot look after you because the money I would have used for you is the same money that I put in the collection. And so it's all gone. And I cannot help you anymore. And Paul underlines all of this again right at the end of today's passage in verse 16, doesn't he? If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So the first application for us is simply, well, do I have elderly parents or elderly grandparents who need me to look after them, providing help for them financially and in other ways as well? And Paul is saying that is a godly thing for you to do. In his terminology, it is a way of making some return for all the ways in which your parents have cared for you over the years. That's the first requirement for a widow to receive help financially from the the church. She must be truly a widow, left alone, without others to help her. Then the second requirement is that she must be truly a Christian. Truly a widow, truly a Christian. That's verses 5 and 6. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead, that is spiritually dead, even while she lives. And the point here is that it's the church's responsibility not to look after any and every widow in their society. No, it's the church's job to look after widows who are within the church family. Now, of course, that's not to say that the, the church can't help those in wider society. But it is to say that the Bible calls us to focus our mercy ministry towards those within the church. Galatians chapter 6 makes that distinction very helpfully. It says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. There is a focus to the church's mercy ministry and the focus is those within the church, those within the household of faith. So the church must make this distinction. Is this someone who has a credible profession of faith? Is she someone who even in in widowhood is setting her hope in God and continuing in prayer? 
Is she of the household of faith? As you know, last week I was over in the Netherlands and I was staying with a wonderful Christian family who had five daughters. Now I was greatly struggling to remember all of these Dutch girls' names. And so at one of the meal times, I turned to the parents and I said, can you just run by me again all of these names so I can try and get a grip on them? And they said, well, actually, each of our daughters has three Christian names. So I was really struggling now. This is now 15 Dutch names uh, to try and remember. But it wasn't so bad as that because they, they said to me, well, each daughter's second name is Anna. All five daughters have Anna as their second Christian name. And the reason is to remind them of Anna in Luke chapter 2. You remember Anna, the prophetess. Luke tells us there in Luke 2, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a, a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer, night and day. What a wonderful widow Anna was. How incredibly difficult it must have been for her to lose her husband very early on in their marriage. And yet Anna was a, a godly woman. Her hope was set in God. And so every day... She went to the temple and she worshipped God and she was fasting and praying night and day. And I think it's very, very likely that the Apostle Paul has Anna in his mind as he writes these words. Sounds like he's describing Anna, doesn't it? She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and and day. If you're a widow, or perhaps when you become a widow, this is the way to do it, isn't it? Uh, to set your hope on God and continue in prayer night and day. That is what unmistakable spiritual life looks like. And so Paul says to Timothy, This is how you care for the needy in your church if you have widows who are truly widows and truly Christians. The church must care for them. They must honour such women in the way that they look after them. And more widely, of course, any in the church family who've been left alone, those who cannot adequately provide for themselves. It's the church's job to step in, provide the care for whatever is needed. Care for the needy in the church family, Paul says. And that brings us then to verses 9 to 16. And... I want to describe these verses as follows. The precious ministry of godly older ladies. Notice I'm saying older, not old here, just to cover all the bases. The precious ministry of godly older ladies. Now these verses are a little tricky. Paul starts talking about enrolling certain widows on a particular list. Now, what does he mean when he, he says that? It could be that he's talking about what he's just been talking about. He's just continuing the same train of thought. That is, the, the list that he's talking about here is simply the list of widows in the church who are to receive support 
from the church. Now, some people understand these verses in, in that way. But the majority of the commentators out there believe that Paul is talking about a different list here. So he's talking about widows, um, which widows rather, of those who are being cared for by the church, who are also to be given this semi-official role in the life of the church. So they are being provided for by the church, as verses 3 to 8 have described. But as well as that, they're also given a special role in the ministry and life of the church. They're put on a, a list of, of extra responsibilities, if you like. And that is they agree that they're going to live out their remaining days like this. They're not going to get married again. They pledge that they will remain single now for the rest of their life. And they will give their energy to the life of the church as much as they can and for as long as they can. They're going to serve the church in this way. Ligon Duncan describes this kind of role as follows. He says, this widow is also one who performs spiritual and charitable functions for the church. In other words, she assists the deacons and the elders in the ministry of the church. She pledges herself that she will serve the church for the rest of her life, and she will assist in the ways that the church deems best. She will be an intercessor for the church. She will pray. She will give counsel to younger women. She will visit the sick. She will give guidance and direction to other widows and orphans supported by the church. She will serve in all these ways. Now, of course, in order to do this, in order to take up that kind of role in the life of the church, it's important that she is a mature Christian woman who has set a good example throughout her Christian life. And so in verses 9 and 10, Paul gives this beautiful description of the kind of woman who is cut out for this particular role in the church. He says, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, if she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So she must have lived a, a good Christian life. She must be spiritually mature. And that must be evident if she's to take up this role in the life of the church. But as well as that, she must also be sufficiently advanced in years. Now, Paul says in those days that meant being over 60. Now, obviously, the life expectancies have changed, so maybe there's a bit of an alteration we need to, to make in terms of our context. But in those days, Paul says over 60 is appropriate for this role. Basically, what he means by that is that the age at which, if you were widowed then, you probably wouldn't want to remarry anyway. So entering into this kind of special rest-of-your-life single role in the church is not going to be good for a young woman to undertake, says Paul. It's going to place an unnecessary burden on a young widow to step up to that and carry all of that responsibility, and it will lead to various temptations. And so Paul says it's wiser if there is a young widow in the church for them at least to leave the door open to remarriage and, and all that that would bring. But, says Paul, if there is an older, godly woman in the church who has outlived her husband and 
let's face it, that is what normally happens. And who is in need of the church's support? Maybe this is a role for her in the life of the church. That is, in this semi-official way, she's enrolled into this role in the church. She gives herself wholly to the life of the church. And so the church provides for her for the rest of her life. And in turn, she will serve the church as much and for as long as she's able to do. And I admit that this arrangement maybe sounds somewhat strange to our ears because this practice it doesn't really feature in the church today. Maybe it should. But nonetheless, it, it tells us, doesn't it, something of the, the precious ministry of godly older ladies in the life of the church. And I think you could probably speak to practically any minister in the whole country. And if you ask them, where would your church be if it were not for godly older ladies? You'd probably get the same answer every time, wouldn't you? And they would say, well, so much of our ministry as a church would just grind to a halt if it were not for those godly older ladies. And many of them have husbands who are already in glory. But those godly older ladies are living out their days serving the church in wonderful ways. They keep the church going in many ways. They help and they serve in so many practical ways. They set a fine Christian example for the rest of the church. And they're encouraging and they're teaching younger ones in the church. And they have set their hope fully on God. And they continue in prayer night and day. Thank God for the precious ministry of godly older ladies. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that the church is our family. We're brought together in Christ. And we pray that you would help us as a church family here to treat one another as family. Help us to love and serve one another. Help us to treat each other as mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. And help us to care for one another as a church and particularly for those who are in greatest need. And as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And Father, we do thank you in particular for the godly older ladies that you've blessed us with as a church here. And we thank you for all the many ways in which they serve and help and pray and have set a godly example to the rest of us. And we pray that you would bless them in their ministry, which is so precious to us and so precious to you. And we pray all of this, Father, for the good of your people here and the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, we ask it all. Amen.